thank you for connecting to the media product of LifeGate Church. Pastor Brian Gallardo prays as this product goes out into the nations, that it empowers your faith, stirs your spirit, and pushes you towards your God-given destiny. For more information, please go to www.lifegatekc.org. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit today a little differently. Normally, I read a text and then I dive into the message. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit and then I'm going to dive into the message. And um, I'm going to preach a lot to the choir today, per se. We don't have a choir. There's a church phrase that we use to say, I'm talking to myself. Look at your neighbor and say, that's okay. And uh, I want to I wanna be, I don't know how any other way to be other than transparent. And I'm a transparent pastor and I, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of that. When I was younger, I had, to, I had an ego to keep, but the older I got, I realized it's not even worth keeping, and me loosing my ego can help other people get free, and I pray today I do just that. Amen? There's this guy in your Bible by the name of Paul. He's Paul the Apostle, and he is a game changer for the entire body of Christ. And if you don't do your due diligence in studying the Word of God and understanding the history behind the context and behind the preacher, sometimes you lose a translation in the meaning of understanding his overall uh, messages and series that he preached throughout the New Testament. Paul was a gentleman who was born in Rome in Tarsus, so he had a Roman citizenship, but by birthright, he was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. His dad was from the tribe of Benjamin, and he was a Pharisee. He, he was a Jewish scholar, very important person in the church, in the synagogue in that day. And Paul the Apostle, he uh, was raised in this town called Tarsus, which was a very prestigious town. Outside of Athens, it was the most educated city in all the world. They were thinkers. They were educated. The greatest universities were there. And at 14 years old, Paul began to study underneath his mentor by the name of Gamil who was a Jewish leader, a theological professor, and part of what's called the Sanhedrin. Everybody say Sanhedrin. It all makes sense in a minute. Just, just follow with me. The Sanhedrin was made up of 10 people at a council in Jerusalem that were handpicked by the elite of the elite. So Paul was being discipled and mentored by one of the greatest uh, Jewish scholars in all of history. And this elite group, they set the laws for those who were practicing Judaism. And so he, 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 he gets out of this mentor season of eight years of being trained, and he starts leading one of the local synagogues. While he's leading the synagogue, he gets a letter from Gamaliel asking him to come to Jerusalem to be a part. He was hand-selected to serve on the Sanhedrin. When he gets to Jerusalem, this Jewish scholar and leader by the name of Paul, Saul at the time, who it's believed was named after King Saul, who was a wicked king in the Old Testament, the Bible said that when he got to Jerusalem, that he, he was furious and angry at all the Jews converting to the teachings of this wild man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was so angry that these Jews were betraying Yahweh. They were betraying God. So Paul did what only he knew to do. He was a Roman citizen, which means he had been indoctrinated with Roman worldly culture. For those of you that love world history, you know that in Rome, they were some of the most barbaric people. They would mole people. They would eat pe They would have lions released on people and eat them to death. They would pull people apart limb by limb. They, they were barbaric in their entertainment with the Colosseum.
museums. I mean, if you go and do your, your due diligence and study, Paul knew torture to be torture. He wasn't just some cute little preacher who preached on Sunday mornings. This was a manly man. He, he was a stallion of men. He didn't play. He was tough and he was strong. So Paul, the apostle, when he finds out about all these incredible people converting over to Jesus, the way, the Bible said that he began to persecute the early church. We know that Paul began to murder Christians left and right, the followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you do your due diligence and you read about Stephen in the, in the first portion of the book of Acts, at the command of Saul, who later became Paul, the Bible said he had Stephen stoned to death. Now, now what that means is they would pick up rocks and hit him upside the head until the person died from being stoned. Paul was a very barbaric person toward Christians. If you do your history research and study, he was known for splitting homes apart. He was known for torturing children and adults alike. He would murder husbands, wives. He didn't care. If you were professing the name of what they called the way, then you would be slaughtered. And it was at the command of this great general in the faith who later became known as the Apostle Paul. Paul is on his way to Damascus. He leaves Jerusalem because the Sanhedrin decided they needed to send out a letter into all the area warning the people not to follow the teachings of Jesus are the way. So Paul leaves Jerusalem and he heads about 500 miles north into a town called Damascus. It's a three-day walk journey. And while he's on his horse, of course, walking, it wasn't a three-day foot journey. It was a three-day horse walk journey. When, when he's on the road to Damascus, the Bible said a great light shone all around him, and he was knocked off of his horse. He went blind, and the Bible said that God spoke to, him, spoke to him audibly and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? Saul gets up from that place totally mesmerized at just what happened, and he's led to a man's house by the name of Ananias. Ananias begins to pray for him, and the, the, the scales come off of his eyes. He can see, and Ananias, Ananias leads him to Jesus and then begins discipling him, everyone say, for three years. So Paul didn't just jump into ministry. Some people think that. He was mentored and discipled. He was trained, and then Paul was sent under this incredible leader. So first Gamaliel was his mentor and overseer. Now it's Ananias. Now, if you do know all this history that I just gave you, there's a huge problem for Paul moving forward. He's now hated by two groups. He's hated by the Jews because this great leader of their movement who was persecuting and killing Christians has now converted to Christianity where now the church, the early church, hates Paul and is scared to death of Paul that he's going to come and it's a scam and he's going to kill all them. Okay, let me, let me bring it to your, your front door. How would you feel if somebody who murdered your family shows up at church? Uh-huh. Paul, how would you feel if somebody who murdered a large group of gathering of Christians shows up to church on Sunday? We would all feel the same way. Come on, talk to me. Let's flip the script for just a moment. How would you feel if you were Paul, who at the command of your voice, many Christians were barbarically murdered? How would you feel? How would you feel if you knew you ripped homes apart and then got saved? You had people beaten with stones and then you got saved. You had people thrown in prison and then you got saved. Today, I want to just peel back the covers for just a moment. 
I want to look into this life of this man named Paul. How he had to feel moving forward had to be, I don't know what you feel, but I feel, had to be completely overwhelming mentally for Paul. I believe he was a carrier of PTSD. I believe with all my heart. You can't murder multiple people and be okay. You can't go through something tragic and walk out okay and it not affect you. Just look at your neighbor and say, crippled and called. How could Paul go through life carrying this guilt, flashbacks, nightmares, severe anxiety, uncontrollable thoughts? The, the, the theologians that I've studied, that they believe that Paul had some physical elements. They think he had gout. They think he had gastric problems, speech impediments. Some believe he had leprosy. Some believe he had deep bouts of depression for what he did. They thought he was possibly ridiculed and, 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 and broken in his heart with anxiety. Think of how the enemy probably talked to him. I know how he talks to me, but think, think of how the enemy talked to Paul. You're no good. You're no good. You're no good. Polly, Polly, you're no good. If you read Paul's writings, he wrote things that if you read into the writings makes sense that he was preaching to the choir. He said, hey, let the peace of God rule. Who do you think he was talking to? Oh, he's talking to me, Pastor. No, Paul was talking to Paul. He said, let the peace of God surpass your own understanding as he was writing in prison. He was saying, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, Paul who do you think he was talking to? Rejoice, he said. And again, I say, re you know when he wrote that? That's, that's Philippians 4, 4, the theme of Philippians. He was in human waste in prison up to his chest, down in human feces, being persecuted for the gospel. And he's saying rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. We come to church in an air-conditioned car, sit in an air-conditioned building, and can't rejoice. Paul the apostle was sitting up in prison and yet had a yet praise. He said, he said, listen, listen to the words. He said, join me in my suffering. He goes on to say, for I have been kidnapped. I have been, this is his own words. I have been beaten. I have been threatened. He was sued, ridiculed, interrogated, and betrayed. Hold up, pastor. I don't know if I can accept this message into my life. Paul was the greatest influencer in the kingdom of God, preacher. Paul changed the world, preacher. Paul was one of the greatest men of God in the Bible, preacher. Paul talked audibly with God, preacher. How, how can Paul have a problem? He's Superman. He's the preacher of preachers. He didn't struggle. He was the preacher of preachers. He didn't have weakness. He was the preacher of preacher. He was perfect. He wrote two-thirds of the Bible. God spoke to him audibly. How could Paul be crippled and called? How could he suffer? How could he be tormented in his mind? How could he have to encourage himself in the Lord? Because, see, I have a problem with the verse I'm about to read you because I'm a word of faith guy. I believe what you stand upon is going to happen. I believe you decree a thing and it shall be established. But God is still sovereign. And you are not. 
Somebody said, what's sovereignty means? Sovereignty means God is God. You are not. He can do whatever he wants to. That's what sovereignty means. You can't use the Bible as a shotgun to manipulate a holy God. This is not a stick up to get God to do what you want him to do. I know, I know we're in America. So in America, if it's not prosperity, blessing, hope, and healing, you totally unplug and tune out. We've made the gospel narcissistic in America. We've made the church all about, I know you don't want to hear this, I got I to gotta tell you. We have made Christianity all about us. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Paul said, it's through much suffering you enter the kingdom. Endure hardship like a good soldier. Crippled and called. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Lord, help us today to have the, find the hope in you. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse 7 through 10. And here's what your Bible says. Paul the Apostle speaking. He says, I was given this thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The word flesh sure means emotion. I was given this stabbing pain in my emotion, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That word torment in the Greek means to ball up your fist, wrap it up, and get a punch. So Paul was saying, I keep getting jabbed in my emotions. I keep going through torment in my soul. Day in, day out, there's this thorn sticking in my soul that's tormenting me. And not that long ago, my wife and I, we got these, uh, I shouldn't have took a picture of it. We've got these thorn bushes that are, these rose bushes that are in front of our, our house. We've got like four or five of them. And they, they were all overgrown with last year's nastiness. And so I needed to prune them. So I went to the store and I got these, got these gloves. You can order them. They're specific for thorn bushes because the, the rose thorns don't penetrate the gloves. So I was not in a very good place mentally. I was really hurt, really upset, really mad. And I was, I wasn't cussing, but I felt like it. And I was so mad, so hurt, so angry. And I was letting them bushes have it. I mean, I was I was doing it like that. And I looked down, Chris, my arms were bleeding. I realized after I had gone through my anger that, that I took off the gloves. Them stinking thorns pierced those gloves. And my fingers were bleeding. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, do you trust me? I said, yeah, I trust you. But I'm hurting from, I feel like, because of you. This is your church, not mine. And he said, anything, anything that has beauty in it is going to be painful. Anything that's good to have, you're going to have to fight for it. Y'all are quiet in here today. You want a good marriage? You got to fight for it. You want kids that serve Jesus? You got to fight for it. You want joy? You got to fight for it. You want a successful business? You got to fight for it. You want a strong walk with God? You got to fight for it. You got to fight for your right. See, some of y'all want to party, but you don't want to fight. It's too hard. Make you 
suck it up and fight. Come on in here. It's too, the road's too long, preacher. You got to suck it up and fight. But pastor, you don't know what they did to me. You got to suck it up and fight. You don't know the hell that I've been through. Uh Uh-huh. You got to suck it up and fight. Paul was kidnapped. Come on in here. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was beaten and left for dead. But he sucked it up and kept on fighting. I don't know who this word is for today. But God wanted me to encourage you. You got to keep on fighting through it. Somebody say crippled and cold. Crippled and cold. Verse number eight. Now look at this. Look at this. Look at what look at Paul said. I had a, man, I can't hardly read this verse. I had a problem with it, Chris. Paul said, I three times have pleaded with God, begging him, please take this away from me. And he said, my grace, Paul, I'm not taking it from you. I'm not taking it from you. But my grace will be sufficient for you. My power will be made perfect in your weakness. As I get older in my walk with God, I'm learning that just because I ask God for it don't mean it's going to happen. Boy, y'all are quiet in here today. I believe believe God's a healer every time. I believe God will do every time. I believe God will provide every time. But what I've learned in my life is just because that's what I ask doesn't mean that that's what he does. Because sometimes his will requires me to go through something that hurts because on the other side of it is a blessing and a breakthrough. And what I fear in our culture today is that we've made God to be a 911 operator or sugar daddy in the sky. Daddy, why don't you get it for me, daddy? You're my sugar daddy, just get it for me. It don't work that way. And then when you don't get it, you quit. I see more people quit on Jesus because they didn't get the blessing. You didn't love Jesus in the first place. You loved his stuff. You loved what was in his hand, not what was on his face. And God's looking for a generation not of hand seekers, but of face seekers. Come on in here. Will you serve him if you don't get your breakthrough? Will you serve him if you got to go through life crippled? Will you serve him if you don't get your financial blessing? Will you serve God crippled and called? That's the question. I'm trying to help you today. Because some of y'all in this room, you're really struggling. So, So am I. You're really going through it. So am I. You, you can't see it because I look so nice on the outside. Amen, Pastor. <laughs> I don't look this good, good internally. And neither do you, you liar. Oh, yeah, Pastor. I look great. I'm doing great. Everything's great. Uh-huh. When somebody says everything is great three times, they're lying. Everything's great. Everything's great. Oh, everything's great. Ain't nothing great. You're lying. Come on in here. Take the mask off. COVID's over. Take it off. Well, it's kind of over. The mandate's over. You could take it off because the mandate's over. Paul, I believe with all my heart, was internally his thorn. I believe, I believe personally, this isn't theology, this is my own personal opinion because nobody knows. Some, I've heard somebody say it was his wife was his thorn in his flesh. 
I'm like, man, go put that in a book, bro. If he was married and put that in a book, he'd look like a horrible husband, wouldn't he? I believe, I believe Paul's torment was he'd go to bed and he would see Stephen's face. He would wake up and he'd look at his hands and he'd see stones that weren't there anymore. I believe he'd sit down to eat food and when he'd put that, that oatmeal to his mouth, he can remember walking into that home and pushing people's plates out of the way and barbarically murdering them there. I believe Paul, every time he was breathing, sleeping, he was so passionate about the church because he was so broken. I believe about what he went through. Paul prayed and didn't get. John prayed and preached, but yet was boiled alive in oil. James, the writer who said, count it all joy, my brothers. He was pushed off of a roof and then beat with billy clubs until his last breath persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter preached Jesus. They arrested him and they said, we're going to crucify you. He said, don't do it like my Lord, please. I don't deserve to be crucified like him. Do it upside down. And they turned his body upside down and the blood ran out of his body. John Huss was burned alive at the stake because he was a preacher of the gospel. Rachel Scott, let's bring it into this century, well, almost a century. Rachel Scott stood up at Columbine High School in, in Colorado, and they at the gunman asked her, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you do, you're dead. And she says, I will not denounce my Lord and Jesus Christ. I am a Christian and a follower of Jesus. And she lost her life. Can God bring it out, bring it through? Absolutely. Can God heal us? Absolutely. Can God provide? Yes. Does he always? I've learned it doesn't always work the way you want him to. He don't work for you. You work for him. See, this is a conundrum for me because I'm a word of faith guy. I believe in blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. I'm that guy. I believe in faith, signs, miracles, and wonders. But he doesn't always do it the way we ask him to do it. Can you still serve him crippled and called? Can you still follow him with a struggle? Can you still serve him when your heart is broken? In your darkest hour, here's what I have learned. You get to see him deeper. In your pain, you get to have a greater revelation of him. When you're stripped on the inside and you're broken, he begins to clothe your soul. When you are hurting, he proves that he's healer because he starts to pick you up. When you're struggling, he comes in and says, let me show you just how strong I am. Could it be we're trying to be so strong that we're weak? Instead of saying, Lord, I'm weak, I need you to be strong. Boy, it's quiet in here today. I've served God my whole heart for 30 years. I've served him for 30 years with my whole heart. Some of you new people don't know this, and I've not even told my own mom this in detail. But I was diagnosed with some crippling thing. You hear, you hear a doctor tell you something, the whole room just goes numb. Well, what did they tell you, Pastor? Well, I'm not telling you all of it. But one of the things they told me that I was diagnosed with is hypertension. And if you've ever known anybody that struggles with hypertension, it's, it's, heart, it's heartbreaking. And it, it affects me as a leader. It does. It cripples my faith. It did this morning. Miss Bree and Chris, they wanted to bless me. And so they were like, hey, we need to talk with pastor after church. We don't want to bother him before church. I don't hear no good in that. <laughs> hypertension, that's what that is. 
So because Chris and Bree love me, they can still follow a pastor that ain't got it all together yet. They said, hey, we want to let you know you're this, this, you have hypertension, and you have OCD. I said, well, I probably knew that. <laughs> it causes me at times to have what's called manic episodes. I'll just get up in the middle of the night and start cleaning, organizing. I'm an organized freak. I'll take it apart, reorganize it, take it apart, reorganize it all the time. I've organized my garage three times. It's about to get organized again. <laughs> because I can't settle what's inside of my soul. So how then can I lay in bed and fight the enemy speaking into my ear? You shouldn't pastor. You're too damaged. You're too crippled. You're too broken. How can you expect people to follow somebody that ain't got it together? You're preaching healing, but you're sick. I made up in my mind. I may have some parts about me that's crippled, but I'm still called. <laughs> and that's where some of you are because I was talking to young people a couple of weeks ago and we've been, man, they, these kids on Wednesday nights, they are on fire for Jesus. They are dancing, shouting, running, jumping, but nobody been telling them to. They're on fire, y'all. And I told them, I said, the number one thing I believe Christians struggle with is that overwhelming sense of shame that whispers in our ear, you're no good. Paul, you should be better. You're trash. Ain't nobody going to want you to serve. Some of you don't serve at life because you don't think you're good enough. Look at your neighbors say, you may be crippled, but you're still called. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. It says this. I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Now, this is funny to me. Paul didn't say, I'm going to not ever talk about my weakness. He said, I'm going to boast about it. I'm weak. <laughs> Praise God. Woo! I struggled today. Woo! That's awesome. I mean, to me, that's, that's funny. I think they're going to put it up there. This is verse number 8 and 10, 8 through 10 of 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. My OCD is like, you know, tripping right now. I'm kidding. I think we got it. Maybe we don't. Okay. He says, I will boast all the more gladly that I'm weak. We're prideful. We don't want to talk about our weakness. I mean, if you follow anybody on Instagram, they never be like, I'm just having a hard day today. It's like, hey, everyone, everything's great. God is so good. Look at my blessing. Nobody ever talks about the bad part of life on Instagram. You know why? It's not sexy. We're almost there. That's still not it. That's verse 9. I'm in verse 8. It's okay. Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. When does his power rest on us? When we say, God, I need you. Pride says, oh, I'm so anointed. I got it all together. They, that, man, they ought to want me. Oh, no power on you, buddy. There's too much of you for God to get in there. Then he says, this is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. Now, this to me is, I'm reading this. 
I was literally laughing out loud like, what? What in the world, Paul? Like, you make no sense. He said, I delight in a weakness. Praise God, I'm weak. What? In insults. Oh, man, I got to tell you a testimony. Somebody insulted me today. Man, it was awesome. They told me I was an idiot. Wow. Anybody? He said, I mean, this is so funny. Like, you, tell me you can't get humor in the Bible. He says, I delight in hardships. There has not been one person in the history of our church that came and said, Pastor, I got to testify. I'm just going through a hard season. It's awesome. My God. See how this is the antithesis of Christian Christianity in America? Huh? I was with the preacher uh, on, on Friday. He's been stabbed, shot in the mouth. He was beaten with a brick. He had a staff member raped and then murdered and thrown in the dumpster behind the church. He was in Ukraine rescuing kids out of the country so they didn't get swept into human trafficking. And while he was there, he got bombed. I said, man, how are you alive? He said, I don't know. God's good. I rejoice in my persecutions. I thought, Lord, you're not funny because I'm studying this and that's not actually funny. Then he says difficulties. I cry when I have difficulties. I whine to everybody. I even so far. My God. What happened? They didn't make my food right. Such a difficulty. My waistline's a little bit bigger than it was. Oh, God. Paul says, delight in it. What? what? I don't get it. I know it's because I'm so full of me. We're so full of us. We don't get it. Well, what did Paul go through? Let's, let's look at this. I'm not going to get through all this today. Um, I'll skip, I'm going to skip around media, folks. I apologize. Um, but you're on a high roll. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 29. Let's look at what Paul went through. This is what he was delighting in. I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently, <laughs> been tortured by a whip more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, which is 109 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with a stone. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day in the open sea by myself. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, dangers and bandits, dangers from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from the false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone uh, without sleep. I have known hunger. I have known thirst. I have often gone without food. I have been cold. I have been naked beside everything else. Now I face daily the pressure of my concern for the church. This is what he just said right before he says, I delight in these things. I'm like, you delight in being beaten with a whip 150, 95 times? You delight in being exposed to death over and over? You delight in going to prison all for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul, I believe. You can't go through this and come out mentally the same. Hello. I don't believe you can be beaten 195 times with a whip. According to Jewish law, they couldn't be lashed 40 times, only 39, because by law, most people didn't make it to 40. They died. 
It was that severe. And here Paul had sessions of being beat. Emotional trauma all the time. God, please deliver me. I didn't get a raise today. God, please deliver me. I got sinus problems. Can't go to church, Pastor. My bunion flared. Please pray for me. And all that stuff's real. I'm, I'm just saying, in retrospect to Paul. What did we go through in retrospect to Paul? The trauma that we feel, think of the trauma he felt. And then James gets up and he says, Consider it all joy, my brothers. I mean, it's funny to think about. Really? Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Nobody ever says these things to me, Alexis. They're not like, man, I got to tell you this awesome story about this trial I'm going through. It's just, I'm just full, full, full of joy. <laughs> like, Pastor, I'm going to quit. I'm leaving. I can't, I can't serve Jesus no more. It's just so hard. I can't do it. That's the normal person. You don't feel that way, Pastor? Oh, all the time. But I keep standing. Keep standing. You see, here's what I've learned about life. I love grapes. Who loves grapes? These are my favorite. Pastor Nan, I want to give you these as a token of my love and appreciation for your awesomeness at LifeGate Church. I love grapes. Who loves grapes? Who loves grapes? Excuse me, I'm going to make something to drink here real quick. So just give me a minute. I'm thirsty. I can't drink these. I'm trying to. I am the seed of Abraham. You know why you can't drink these? Because they're grapes in their hard form. Could it be that we go through hell? Because God is trying to get us to the soft form. Maybe our hearts are too hard. Maybe we have to go through what the Bible calls the wine press. Because the only way you can get juice out of the grape is through the crushing. And I feel the Holy Ghost so strong right now. And some of you are in the crushing right now. And you're begging God, please, Please get me, get me out, Lord. Please, if, if you can just make a way of escape for me, Lord. I, I'm struggling today. I'm depressed. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know what to do. I, 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 I'm depressed beyond measure, but you don't understand your misery is about to be somebody else's ministry. Your crushing could be developing your calling. You need to stop looking at it like, the hell I'm going through and start looking at it like I'm going through this because I'm about to come to a place where there's going to be some fresh ministry in my life and I'll be able to hand somebody else a drink from a soft place. Crippled. But I'm still called. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Crippled. Still called. Can you follow Jesus if he doesn't do what you ask him to do? Can you still follow God even though you can't sense him, trace him, 
see him, hear him, as if the heavens were brass? Can you follow God even though nothing you're asking him is making any sense right now? Can you follow God when it seems like heaven went silent? Because I want to encourage you today. It won't stay silent forever. There is blessing on the other side of that pain. But only if you stand firm and you trust in God. Hebrews chapter 11 is probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because God starts to call out all these great generals who live by faith. Noah, he lived by faith, so he built an ark. Abraham, he lived by faith and couldn't have children, but him and Sarah at an old age ended up having children. By faith, many were persecuted. By faith, they were fed to lions. By faith, they were in a fiery furnace. And he goes through all these incredible examples. But verse 13 for me is a kicker because here's what it says. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that were promised to them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. If great men and women of God didn't walk into what they were begging and believing God for and still made it, so can you. You may go through life, Jacob, with a limp and never come out with your limp, but it will always be a testimony of the goodness of God. Amen. One of my favorite songs was written in the 1860s by this devout Christian whose name is Horatio Spafford. He was a very wealthy man and a real estate man, and he was a lawyer in Chicago, and he bought up all kinds of property all around Lake Michigan and Chicago. And in 1870, his son got sick. He was four years old, and he died of scarlet fever. 1871 comes around, and there was a forest, there was a fire in Chicago. I don't know if you know the history of Chicago, but there was a really bad fire in Chicago, and everything burned to the ground, and Horatio lost every single investment he had, broke. And he said to his wife, he said, honey, let's, we need to clear our minds. Let's take the last bit of savings and go on a vacation. And he, and he said, I'm going to have to tie up some loose ends here, but I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to put you on a ship. It's a, it's a, it's a big steam, a steamship, and I want to send you over to, to London, and I want you to take the kids. There's four of them that remain, and I'm going to meet you over there. And Horatio went back to Chicago and started loosening, tightening up some loose ends. And when they were about a two-day's journey across the ocean, Another ship ran into their ship. And outside of the Titanic, it was the worst tragedy in naval history in the world. 256 people lost their lives that day, and that, sh that ship sunk in under 12 minutes. Horatio's wife gets to London, and he gets a telegram because he was unaware of what happened to his family. He gets this telegram, and the telegram read, Honey, I'm the only survivor. What do I do now? Later, he found out that all of his children died tragically in that ship accident. A follower of Christ, a lover of Jesus, sends a telegram back to his wife and says, Honey, I'm on my way. He gets on a ship headed the same course that his family that perished was on. And about two days into the journey, the captain over the intercom said, Could Mr. Horatio Spafford please come to the deck of the boat? He comes up to the captain and the captain said, I just wanted to pay you honor, sir, and let you know that this is the spot where the ship sunk and your kids perished in these waters somewhere. He bowed his head. He got real still. And he took out a notepad of paper and he started to write, it is well. 
it is well with my soul. Listen to these words today. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows, he was looking at the waves, like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I think mature Christianity and standing for God in faith is simply this. When the waves are beating you down, you still stay the course. When it doesn't make any sense, you still stay the course. When all hell is breaking loose in your mind, you stay the course. You don't back up. You may not be progressing, but at least you're not backing up. Come on in here. There have been times I couldn't move forward. I I had to stay planted. And I want to encourage you today that you may be here this morning and you may be crippled in your faith. Stay the course. You may be here today and you may not understand what's going on in your world. Don't you get off the ship. You stay the course. Come on. You may be struggling today in your walk with God. Your marriage may feel like it's falling apart. Your kids might be acting crazy. You feel like you're never going to get this healing. I want to encourage you today. Stay the course. It may look like your financial world is falling apart. Stay the course. You may be walking with a limp. Jacob, stay the course. They may have diagnosed you with hypertension and OCD. You stay the course. It may make no sense on paper to you, honey, but you stay the course. You may be crippled, but you are still called. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift these people up to you today. God, I pray, Father, that you would encourage them today. I have learned that in my darkest hour, in my weakest moments, I saw you the greatest. God, when I was struggling and in pain and hurting and pacing those floors at three or four o'clock in the morning, you revealed yourself strong and faithful to me. Lord, wherever we are at today, we collectively agree and say, on the mountaintop it is well. In the valley it is well. Through the pain it is well. Through the healing it is well. Through the sickness it is well. Through the lack it is well. Through the drama of this world it is well. God, we stand together as a church and we declare and we decree that it is well with our soul. In the name of Jesus, God, so many of your children are facing a thorn in their soul. Lord, I pray you'd give them the strength in their weakness Make them strong where they're hurting. Give them hope where they're hopeless. Give them joy where they're depressed. Lord, I pray you give them faith where they're full of doubt, Lord. Give them hope where they're full of fear, Lord, today. In the name of Jesus. God, we say yes to your will in our life. In the name of Jesus. And the people said amen and amen. What if we turned the attention of our soul that we feel from our pain and turn it toward others to say, how can this pain help them? That's called a testimony. And here's what I know about my testimony. I overcome by telling it. I get a little bit better every time I tell it. Hey, I struggle. What do you, let me tell you about Jesus though. Hey, I have problems, but let me tell you about Jesus. And see, the whole time the enemy told me when I was working on this message, you get up and tell them that they're not going to follow you. I said, but I'm still called. Oh, you you good, Brother Jordan. Maybe we catch the football a little better. It's a little sticky. Maybe the whole Chiefs should come and do this before they go play. Crushing ain't all bad. It'll produce if you let it. 
Keep your heart right. When we, when we went through this season in our church, this last year, when it all started, the Lord, he told me, he spoke to me. I put it on my dry eraser board. I left it there. He said, if you keep your heart right and you handle this right in the pain, I'm going to promote you. You got to keep your heart right and you got to handle it right. You may be hurting today, but you're still called. I would like to take a little step further and say, it's because you're hurting so bad as proof that you're called. The enemy only tries to stop people who are about to do something. If he ain't fighting you, that means you ain't about to do nothing. But if he's fighting you, that means you're about to do something. You ought to re- That's why he said, I rejoice. Ha-ha. I'm going to just start going to people and say, let me tell you my testimony. I'm going through hell. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. <laughs> Crippled, but called. Amen. Can you put your hands together and thank the Lord this morning? Before, before Pastor Julian comes, I'm going to do two things. Number one, Wednesday night's very special to me. I need all the parents that can get your kids here. And I need all the parents that can, you should be here. Um, because these young ladies, they will, listen, they will call you into something brand new. It's going to be like manifesting one night. They are powerful guys. World changers. They lead worship all over the world. They're prophetic. They preach. They encourage. They pray. It's going to be a powerful night. So if you are off on Wednesday night and you ain't here, God bless you. You're going to miss it. I feel bad if you miss it. I don't want you to miss it. It's going to be powerful. Get your kids here. It's going to be a great time. And then secondly, I want to ask everybody in the room, are we all good with Jesus today? Like if Jesus were to come back right now, would you make heaven your home or would you miss it? We're going to do something pretty bold here in just a moment because a lot of us, I'm going to help you share your faith today. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, are you right with Jesus? Like if you died, you go straight to heaven? Do you know that for sure? Ask them. So do you know if you died, you'd go to heaven or would you miss it? All right, if they couldn't answer you and they said, no, I wouldn't make it, I want you to raise your hand. Don't make them raise your hand. Raise your hand. If the, the pastor, they wouldn't answer me. They've, they, lost, they lost as a badger. I don't know what to tell you. One, okay, I see one person. One, two people, praise God. Three people, all right. Four people, I see you. Okay, five people. Let's all say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I ain't right. I got stuff in me that's wrong. But I trust that you're my Savior. And the preacher said, what the Bible said, that if I will confess you as Lord and repent of my sin, that I'll be all right. And so today, I lay before you the idea that I'm lost and without a Savior. So I invite you to come. Come into my life and teach me how to serve and follow you in Jesus' name. And the people said,